Good morning, South Durham Church. I hope that you and yours are doing well this week. We are continuing our sermon series today on the God of all comfort from the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're watching for the first time today, we especially want to welcome you again, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, you can fill out a form right now at southdurham.org connect. We'd love to get you plugged into small groups and prayer ministries and uh, many other things that God is doing here in the life of our church in this season. Uh, so we're glad you're here and we welcome you. Uh, if you have been with us for a while, you know that we, uh, we were walking with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem leading up to Easter. And then we had Easter Sunday two weeks ago. And then last week we started this new series called The God of All Comfort in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is uh, a book that is dear to me. It's, it's near to my heart. It's meant a lot to me in the past because this is a book that uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And in it, Paul opens up his heart. He opens up his heart to the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth, Greece, and lets them know about some trials that he's been going through, some suffering that he's been in, and how God has brought him through. And so it's an incredibly encouraging book, challenging book, helpful to us in any time of life because there's always suffering in the world, but particularly helpful to us, I think, in these times. So I'm glad to be in this book with you. And today we're talking about the comfort of a clear conscience. The comfort of a clear conscience. Uh, now, in just a minute, I'm going to read the text and, and we're going to pray and we'll dive into it a little bit more deeply. But think with me about that idea of conscience. Uh, I think this week was the first time I ever did a word search in the Bible for that word, conscience. And I, you know, I'd come across it in reading the Bible before, but I hadn't realized the importance of that word and that concept to the teaching of the New Testament. But there, that word conscience is all over the place, especially in Paul's writings. But you find Peter write about it, one of the other apostles. You find it in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it is mentioned in the Old Testament a couple of times. Uh, and of course, the idea of a, a pure heart or a clean conscience or sincerity and pure motive is all over the place in the Bible. But uh, I don't know that in my own life I've heard it taught on that much. And so I thought, as I was preparing this, this would be a great thing for us to think about together. You know, we're in the midst of this crisis, and I've been saying that we should take advantage of this time to reassess our lives and reassess our church and our ministry and everything. Uh, and so it made sense to me that one of the things we ought to reassess is our motives and our conscience before God, whether or not uh, we're sincere, whether or not uh, we uh, are pure in our motives. And so I thought this would be an exciting thing for us to talk about. Well, I got into researching it more this week and praying on it, thinking through it. And, and what I found is that the sources that I normally go to to, uh, to learn, you know, how, how should I be thinking about this text or this idea, uh, most of them were pretty light on this idea of conscience. And so then I started getting scared. I mean, am I really barking up the right tree here? Am I going to have anything helpful to say? But you know what? God's Word is always helpful and it's always true. And I believe that God and His grace has, has helped me and is going to help us to grow in the assessment of our consciences. I started thinking this week too about why it is that we don't talk about this very often. And I think there's some pretty clear reasons. I think that this idea of our conscience um, it kind of gets at the core of who we are. It affects us uh, in our souls. We're having to ask the question, 
what is it that really drives me? Now, I hope that already in this season, as we've been under lockdown and, and life has been totally upended, I hope you've already been asking that question. What is it that really drives me? What are my motives? Are they good? Are they what I want them to be? I hope you've been asking those questions, but I'm asking you, and God's Word is speaking to us today to cause us to ask this question, what really are my motives? What is uh, the nature of what's in my heart? What's driving me? Do I have a sincere motive? Do I have a clear conscience toward God and toward people? Really, there's nothing that could be more important because God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the heart. And so it makes sense that Paul would say in the book of Acts that he always takes pains to have a clear conscience before God and men. It's an important thing. He's self-consciously thinking about his conscience toward God and toward people. He's trying to be pure. It makes sense that in 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul would say again that the aim of our charge is love that comes out of a good conscience uh, and a sincere faith. So part of the aim of Paul's ministry is good consciences, clear consciences in other people. So we ought to think about our conscience. And I, as I've said, I want to tell you today about the comfort that comes from having a clear conscience toward God. Now, remember in this series that we're defining comfort along the lines of Dr. David Garland in the New American Commentary series. He says this, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. So comfort is not uh, just a, a sort of warm uh, comfortableness. It's not an emotional, uh, a merely emotional state. Uh, that, that kind of just gives you a, a sense of peace. It is that, but it also gives you a strength. It gives you uh, resolve. It's a fortification to continue on when life throws trials your ways, your way. So that's the comfort we're talking about in the book of 2 Corinthians. And that's the comfort we're talking about when I say that today we're talking about the comfort that comes from a clear conscience. So I'd like to read a little bit of the text for us and then I'm going to pray. The text that we're going to be in is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verse 12 through chapter 2 verse 17. It's a little bit longer text than we normally do and actually we're going to be in this text for the next couple of weeks because it's, it's a gold mine. There's a lot in here for us to consider. But today we're focusing on this idea that both begins and ends this passage. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through 2.17. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up and follow along. I'm going to read just the beginning of that passage and the end of it so that you can see this idea of sincerity and a pure heart and a good conscience and see how it, uh, it, it is the start and the finish of this passage. And we'll go through the rest of the passage as we go. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and then chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 says this. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we're not writing anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, 
that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. And then 2 verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We thank God for the reading of his word. I'd like to pray for you, and we're going to dive deeper into this text. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that you would bless everyone watching this, that you would bless me as I speak about these things, that you would search our hearts and know us, that you would see if there's any way in us that's impure, that you would drive it out, God, that we would be people of pure conscience, pure motives, so that we would be a light to those around us, uh, a help, and uh, people who offer hope to a world full of mixed motives and, uh, and impure consciences. Help us, O oh God, we pray for the sake of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking today, as I said, about the comfort of a clear conscience toward God and toward people. And I don't, I don't have to tell you that the world is full of mixed motives, that the world is full of impure motives. Uh, you know, as well as I do, that, uh, that it's in our own hearts, that, that our motives, if we're honest, if we look at what's inside of us, isn't pure, isn't always in the right direction. But when we're talking about this word conscience, that's what we're talking about. The idea of a motive. And to have a clear conscience is to have pure motives, right motives, sincerity before God and before people. Now in the world, often sincerity is looked down on. Uh, sincerity is seen as a handicap. It's uh, something that, that does not always go to your advantage. But God cares about the heart and cares about righteousness and justice. And so he calls us to be a people who are sincere. So again, today I'm asking you to examine your own conscience. Well, I want to look at this text. And in it, we're going to see four times in life when you need a clear conscience. And then we're going to talk about how you get one. So four times in life when you need a clear conscience and then how you get one. Well, the first time in life that you need a clear conscience that comes right out of this text is when people question your integrity. When people question your integrity. A little bit of background on the book of 2 Corinthians is that the, the church in Corinth had been founded by the Apostle Paul. But Paul was away and he planned to come and visit them, uh, but then he wasn't able to come. And the people in Corinth then became suspicious of Paul. They began to question his love for them, began to question his integrity. Have you ever had anybody question your integrity? It's a painful experience, especially if it comes from somebody that you love, someone who's close to you. If they question your integrity, you know, it makes you wonder if, if they're right. It, it, it hurts. It, it makes you wish you could convince them otherwise if they're wrong. It's painful when people question your integrity, especially if they're people that you love. I think about parents of teenagers 
you know, who have to go through that experience of a child saying to them, you don't love me. Or I think about a spouse and that fight that happens when, when a spouse says to the other, you don't really love me. That feeling that then comes on the other of a questioning of integrity, it's painful, it's difficult to go through. Maybe you've been accused by something uh, from a boss or a coworker that wasn't true. And you felt that sense of, why is my integrity being questioned? Well, in the midst of that, to get through that, you need the comfort that comes from a clear conscience. And this is all Paul's experience with the Corinthians. He loved them. He had started that church, but then they started questioning him. They started wondering whether they could really trust him. Uh, And so he was misunderstood and he was accused by the people. But he had the comfort of a clear conscience and it enabled him to love them anyway. Here's what Paul says, again, starting in verse 12. Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. In other words, Paul and his associates, that's why he says we, later he's going to tell us he's talking about Silvanus and Timothy and some others, he and his associates had been completely honest and upfront with the Corinthians. They hadn't been like the world, promising one thing and doing another. They were being transparent. They were being truthful. We haven't used worldly wisdom. We haven't been trying to manipulate you. We've been sincere. Verse 13, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we boast of you. So in other words, We've been totally consistent, and our goal has always been that when Jesus comes back, you'll be proud of us and we'll be proud of you. Now, because Paul loved the Corinthians, he wanted to come and visit them. He wanted to encourage them. That's what he says in verses 15 and 16. Uh, Earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, he had said to them, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But for some reason, he wasn't able to visit them after all. He's going to tell us why in a minute. But they took it as a sign that he didn't love them. And Paul's saying, no, I did love you. And I've been honest with you. He says in verse 17, was I vacillating? Was I fickle? Uh, Was I going this way and that when I wanted to visit you? Do I make my plans according to the the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Now, you know people like that. Maybe at sometimes you've been a person like that who says yes and no at the same time. You mean yes, but you say no. You mean no, but you say yes. You mean definitely not, but you say say maybe. If my calendar is clear, we've all been that person. But Paul is saying that is not how he was to the Corinthians. He was honest. He was forthright. Jesus taught us, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. If you have to add to the yes or no, Jesus is saying, it's not good. It comes from evil. And so Paul goes on to say that he's kept that commandment of Jesus. And he says in verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, 
Those are some incredibly powerful verses we're going to come back to next week. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit as a guarantee. So Paul knew that he had been truthful. And what he's arguing here, what he's saying here is, just as we've been honest about the gospel, we've been honest about our travel plans. Just as we've been honest with you when we lived with you for a year and a half and you knew us, we are being honest with you now. It's not right for you to be upset at us for not being able to come. We were honest in what we told you. Now, here's what this means for us today. Without a clear conscience, see, with, let me finish the sentence. Without a clear conscience, when people question your integrity, you'll just believe them or you'll never believe them. But Paul had a clear conscience before God. So when his integrity was questioned, he could gently correct when he knew he was in the right. But if you do not have a clear conscience before God, if you don't know that you're okay before God, then when people question your integrity, you'll just believe them or you'll never believe them. So let's start with the first of those. If, you, if you're not sure where you are with God and somebody questions your integrity, you might just believe them. You might just say, you know what? I'm wrong. And you might always say, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that might not be true. And it might not be beneficial for your relationship with that person. I mean, after a while, if, if you're right and you're saying I'm wrong, that's, there's going to be a break in your conscience and you're not going to be able to continue that relationship. And if you do continue it, it's not going to be a relationship of love. It's just going to be that you are continuing it out of obligation or something. So you've got to have a clear conscience before God to have the, the comfort, the strength from God uh, to, to honestly evaluate the claim when somebody questions your integrity. So you might just believe them. On the other hand, if you don't have a clear conscience before God, if you don't know where you stand before God and you aren't able to stand before Him, then you'll never, you may never believe people who question your integrity. It might be too much for you. You know, you might feel like, how dare you question my integrity? This is who I am. I can never receive correction from anybody. I, I'm always right because you're insecure before God. So you need a clear, uh, a clear conscience before God to have comfort when people question your integrity. We all do. That's the first time in your life when we need a clear conscience before God and the comfort that comes with it. The second time in our lives when we need a, or a second time in our lives when we need the comfort of clear conscience comes in verse 23, starting in verse 23. And it's when our love causes others to be upset. You need the comfort that comes from a clear conscience when loving someone will cause them to be upset or disappointed. See, we all have to do this, right? Parents have to do this. Uh, if a parent always gives a child everything they want, then the child will never be upset with a parent and be spoiled and terrible and not be able to cope with the world. So part of being a healthy parent in healthy relationship with your child is being able to lovingly disappoint them. You can't have candy for breakfast. You can't stay up all night. This is part of what it means to love well. And it's not just in parenting. It's in any relationship. There are times when you are called to disappoint somebody, when love demands 
that you let them down. And that is what was happening in Corinth between Corinth and Paul. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says this, and he gives the reason why he didn't come. He says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So what's Paul saying? The Corinthians were suspicious that Paul didn't love them. And that that's why he was saying yes and no. But Paul says, the reason that I didn't come to you was I didn't want to cause you more pain. I didn't want to come with a rebuke and rebuke you in person. And so if you read those verses, look at them closely again, you'll see that Paul uh, had something he needed to correct in the church of Corinth. And he's actually going to tell us what it is in the next set of verses. But he had something he needed to correct in that church and he didn't want to do it in person because he knew that it would hurt them. And he didn't want to do another painful visit. It sounds like he had, last time he visited them in Corinth, he had had to say some painful things. And he didn't want to come back and, and just be the person who, whenever he visits, he says painful things, difficult things. And that's why he didn't visit and it's why he's writing the letter of 2 Corinthians. So he's loving them by writing this letter, knowing that he has disappointed them by not coming and knowing that this letter is going to cause them pain, but his hope is that when he visits them in person, it's going to be a joyful visit, that they will have listened to him, that uh, they will be able to rejoice together. So Paul uh, is writing this painful letter, knowing it's going to disappoint them. But he does that because he loves them. Proverbs 15:31 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Paul's heart was for the Corinthians to be wise. He wanted the best for them. That's why he didn't want to cause them more pain. That's why he caused them as little pain as possible by writing this letter. Now here's the danger for us. Without a clear conscience, we will go through life with misplaced guilt for upsetting people or we'll live in the fear of upsetting people or maybe both, without a clear conscience toward God, we'll go through life with a misplaced guilt about upsetting people, or we'll go through life afraid to upset people, maybe both. So let me start with, let's talk about each of those, and I'll start the with the first one. If you don't have a clear conscience before God, if you don't have peace before God in your soul, you might be living, even now, with misplaced guilt for upsetting people. You know, in the world we're taught that love never upsets anybody. That to really love somebody, you never have to step on their toes. We've already seen that that's, that's definitely not true. It can't be true. It's not true in parenting. It's not true in other places in life. Um, but if you don't know your own heart before God, if you're not secure before God, then you might live with misplaced guilt about upsetting other people. 
You might upset them and then you might think, oh, I've done wrong. When maybe you were trying to love them. Maybe you actually have a clear conscience and what you did was good and unfortunately it had to hurt them. Or maybe they're not responding the way that they ought to respond before God. See, if you don't have a security before God of your motive and a clear conscience before God, you won't have the comfort that you need. You might live with misplaced guilt for upsetting people. Or you might live in the fear of upsetting people, right? Because you don't want that misplaced guilt. So you're, you're going to do your best never to upset people, uh, whatever the cost is. If that means you, you don't actually love somebody, you don't actually enter into a relationship with them, that's what it's going to be because you do not want to upset somebody because that would, would throw off the whole equilibrium of your life because them being upset with you might mean that, that you're a bad person. So, you see, you need the comfort of a clear conscience before God when you have to disappoint people in order to love them. And we're called to love people as Christians. So we need that comfort of a clear conscience before God because sometimes love is going to cause us or it's going to demand that we... Uh, that people are disappointed in us. In this passage, there's a third time in life that we need the comfort of a clear conscience, and that is when we need to forgive, when we need to forgive and not hold grudges. So we need the comfort of a clear conscience when people question our integrity, and we need the comfort of a clear conscience uh, when we have to disappoint people in order to love them. But then third, we need the comfort of a clear conscience when we need to forgive and not hold grudges. Look with me, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive... I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, we don't know exactly the background that Paul is addressing here, but what is clear is that the church of Corinth had somebody that they needed to forgive, somebody who had maybe sinned against them, somebody who seems to have sinned against Paul, that Paul had forgiven, but they need to forgive and no longer hold a grudge. So Paul says to them, the punishment by the majority is enough. In other words, uh, you all have, have already told him that he was in sin and he has come away, he's repented, he's turned from the sin that he was in and he's come back. Now you should turn and forgive and comfort him so that he doesn't fall into despair and excessive sorrow. So reaffirm your love for him. And then, uh, so verse 11, where it says that we wouldn't be outwitted by Satan, Satan's desire is for the church to be unforgiving toward repentant sinners. Satan's desire is for the church to be unforgiving toward repentant sinners. And without a clear conscience yourself before God, you will have to hold a grudge or paper over other people's sins. Paul had a clear conscience before God, so he was able to already forgive this man who had sinned against him. But if you don't have a clear conscience before God, if you don't know where you stand, if you don't have pure motives before God, you will either have to hold grudges or you won't be able to forgive. Uh, uh, or, sorry, you'll have to hold grudges or you'll paper over other people's uh, wrongs. Let's look at each of those. 
Without a clear conscience before God, you'll have to hold grudges. You won't be able to forgive. Why? Because you won't know that you are forgiven by God if you don't have a clear conscience. See, the only way to get a clear conscience, and I'm getting ahead of myself, is to admit that you don't have a clear conscience before God, that God has to do something about it, and that he would forgive you. So if you don't have that clear conscience before God, then that means you, you don't know the grace of God towards you in Christ. And so then you'll need to feel superior. You'll need to hold on to being right. Uh, but if you, on the other hand, know your clear conscience before God, you'll know that, that you don't deserve it, that it was a gift. With Paul, you'll, you'll say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So without a clear conscience before God, if you're not secure in your motive before God, you'll have to hold grudges. You'll need to in order to hold on to your identity, in order to to know that you're superior and that you're okay. Either that, so either you will hold a grudge or you won't be able to forgive because you'll just paper over other people's sins. You won't acknowledge them as sins. You'll just say it's no big deal when it is a big deal. You ever find yourself saying that? Ah, it's no big deal. But you know in your heart it's a big deal. You won't be able to look sin square in the face or a sinner square in the face and offer them forgiveness if you don't have a clear conscience before God. Why not? Because if you don't have a clear conscience yourself before God, then you'll just have to hope that God overlooks sins. Because you know in your heart, like I know in my heart, that I've sinned against God, that that I'm not worthy to be in His presence, that I don't have a clear conscience in myself before Him. And so either I have to say that that I'm better than everybody else and feel superior, and then I'm going to have to hold grudges and never forgive, or I'm going to have to say, Well, God just overlooks it, and I'm sure God just overlooks your things. And then we can never actually acknowledge sin. But God's love is greater than a mere overlooking of sins. God's love is just and holy and merciful. God doesn't just overlook sins. God has dealt with sins. He has sent his only son to atone for sins, to take our place on the cross uh, and die so that we could be objectively and finally forgiven. And our sin could be acknowledged, but, but poured out on someone else as a substitute. So we need the comfort of a clear conscience before God when we need to forgive somebody. Just ask yourself right now, is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? Is there somebody in your life that has repented and you're still holding a grudge against them? You need to take that to God. You need to take your conscience to God before prayer, uh, before God in prayer. Get a clean conscience and then you'll be freed to forgive. We'll talk about how to get that clear conscience more in just a minute. But before we do, there's a fourth time in life when we need the comfort of a clear conscience. And that is when we are on mission for the gospel and getting mixed responses. Now, our mission at South Durham Church, like any church of of Jesus Christ, any Christian church, is to multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. And that requires speaking God's word to people. And, you know, that's scary because you don't know what God's going to do and you don't know what they're going to do. It's also life-giving because God could work a miracle through it. And you can see that Paul here is on mission for God. He's an apostle. It's his mission to spread the gospel of God. And in verses 12 through 17, we see the comfort that a clear conscience is to him. So look with me at chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, 
who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So see, his heart is not at rest. Life around him is not what he wants it to be. And yet, in Christ, he always leads us, God always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one of fragrance from death to death, to the other of fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Paul knew that however people were responding and whatever angst was in his soul as he was going about the mission of advancing the gospel, he knew that Christ was always leading in triumphal procession. And that is because he knew that he was with Christ as a person of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God speaking in Christ. He, he had pure motive. He was truthful and had integrity. Now I want to talk about that triumphal procession. If you have a clear conscience before God, you can know that in Christ, God is always leading you in triumphal procession. Now what's that? Now remember, Paul is writing in the Roman world. And a triumphal procession is what would happen when a general would come back to town uh, after winning a victory on the battlefield. Now, for uh, a general to get a triumphal procession, you, you, he had to, to, uh, to slay five, at least 5,000 enemies uh, and then come back and then he would have this parade. And he would go down the, the, the middle of the street and his sons would follow along beside, uh, behind him and everybody would, 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 would basically worship and, and praise him for his victory. Well, Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession if our hearts are pure before him, if we're following him in sincerity. What that means is, see, Christ came into enemy territory like a Roman general. He came here to this earth. And instead of killing 5,000 people, he saved 5,000 people in the book of Acts and more. And he now always is leading us in triumphal procession. What that means for us on our mission is this. I love how Warren Wearsby puts it. He says this, The victorious general's sons would walk behind their father's chariot, sharing in his victory. And that is where believers are today, following in Christ's triumph. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. When you're on mission, sincerely for Christ, you're not fighting so that God gets the victory. You're fighting because God has gotten the victory. And this is ours if we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but people of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God speaking in Christ. You and I both know the difference between somebody who is trying to to tell us the gospel or the good news uh, in order to win us to their side versus trying to tell us just good news because they love us. You, you know the difference between somebody who is trying to sell you something and someone who cares about you. And what Paul is saying is that with a clear conscience before God, he could say he was sincere in his preaching the gospel to people. And so what that means for us on mission as a church, is that if our consciences are clear before God, we can be confident to speak Christ to people knowing that whatever happens, whatever their response, whether they respond in life or whether they 
respond by saying, that sounds awful to me. It smells terrible like a fragrance of death, as Paul says. However they respond, we can know that Christ is leading us in triumphal procession. But without a clear conscience in yourself, you will be paralyzed on the mission of God. You'll always be questioning your motives and you won't probably say anything. Or, on the other hand, you might, if you don't have a clear conscience before God, you might just beat other people over the head with the gospel because you have tied your identity to their response. If they don't believe, then it means I didn't do a good enough job. If they don't believe, then it means I'm a bad person. Uh, you, we know, unfortunately, we know people like that. Maybe you've been a person like that where you have sort of tried to force the gospel on somebody to try to win them to your side in pride so that you could feel secure. I've done that. And I've also been paralyzed in the mission of God because I've questioned my own motives. But if you have a clear conscience before God, you will follow Christ in triumphal procession on mission for the advance of the gospel. That's why I'm saying, in addition to all these other reasons, that's why I'm saying, church, look at your motives. Question your own motives. Ask God, do I have a clear conscience before you? Pray to him the prayer of Psalm 139. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of understanding. There are at least four times in life when you need the comfort of a clear conscience. When people question your integrity, when you have to disappoint people you love, uh, when you've got to forgive someone, or, and when you're on mission for the advance of the gospel and, and you need to go forward no matter how people are responding to you. Now I want to talk to you finally about how you get that clear conscience before God. Because I've already said, and you already know, that your own conscience isn't clear. That if you're honest with yourself, you're guilty. You, you, you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this week. You haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, and I haven't either. Uh, before God, we are people of mixed motives. We are just like those people that we accuse of having bad motives. We, we try to serve other people because we want them to love us, not because we love them. We try to do kind things and say the right things and tweet the right things uh, or, or, or wear the right face because we want people to think a certain way about us, not because we're trying to serve them. So we don't have a clear conscience before God. So what do we do? What do we do when we have a guilty conscience? How do we get that clear conscience that gives us the comfort we need? Well, Paul doesn't tell us in these verses, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 14, there's a beautiful verse that says this, How much more... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more, let me read that again, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There is one who had a clear conscience before God a hundred percent of his life. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he went to the cross and bore the blemish of our consciences there in order to give us the promised Holy Spirit and seal us and give us clean and pure consciences. Will you admit the defilement, the impurity of your own conscience, 
and go to Christ on the cross by faith to receive a clear conscience? Will you receive it as a gift? So that next time you go to God in prayer, you say, God, I believe that you sent your son to forgive me all my sins, to give me a clear conscience before you. And so I'm coming to you boldly now, knowing that I'm standing in Christ and not in myself. And so I can have the comfort of a clear conscience. Will you believe the cross of Christ? When people question your integrity, when you need to disappoint someone in order to love them, when you need to forgive, when you're called to be on mission for the advance of the gospel and people responding in different ways, you're going to need a clear conscience before God. Will you go to the cross to get that? It's a free gift on offer to you right now. And if you're in Christ by faith, if you're already a believer, take pains like Paul to keep your conscience and motives clear. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Uh, and don't do this alone. One thing I would challenge you to do this week, if you don't already have somebody like this in your life, pray on one or two people that you could say this to. You ask God, who could I trust with this? With this? And you go to them and you would say this. I give you permission to question my motives. I give you permission, not to question my motives over there in your own chair and, and, and judge me, but to, but to question my motives and come to me and say, how are, you, how are your motives? To ask how your heart is. Give one or two people permission to speak into your heart. You can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. Because God has purchased for us a clear conscience on the cross. And then he calls us to be holy like he's holy. So we want to strive and take pains to have a clear conscience. And then when we fail, go back to the cross and receive again the gift, the free gift of a clear conscience before God. You're going to need it, at least in these four different times. And it is free, freely available to you because of the cost of Jesus Christ's shed blood on the cross. Will you take it? Will you cling to it? And then may we live as a church with clear consciences before God, boldly loving people when they question our integrity, when we have to disappoint them, when we need to forgive them, and when they may respond in ways we don't like when we're on the mission for God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you for your word that always challenges us and that calls us to examine our own hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you would search us and know us See if there's some wickedness in us and lead us into righteousness. Lord, lead us to the cross that we'd receive again each day and each moment the gift that Christ has purchased for us there. I pray that your people would live freely in the forgiveness that you've bought and in clear consciences and purity before you. In Jesus' name, amen.